Let's dive into what we're looking at tonight. So we've started this series in John 15 of um, looking at how as we abide in Jesus, as he abides in us, we can expect to have fruit. And actually, as we're on this journey, we can expect to become more like Jesus. That's why we're here, right? That's why we're doing this. We want to be more like Jesus. We abide in Jesus, he abides in us, we can expect to produce fruit. We want to be like Jesus. That's that's why we're here, that's what we're pursuing, that's what we're going after. But I want to offer a question this evening. What do we do when we've got healthy roots in us? So our roots are in who Jesus is, in who we are in him. We love him, we're in his kingdom, we're saved. But actually we have fruit in our lives that doesn't quite reflect that. And what I mean by that is maybe fruit of being highly critical. That's me. Maybe fruit of um, jealousy. I looked at that over the summer. That's a really enjoyable topic. That's also me. Maybe fruit of um, discord or discontentment or inactivity, or not a lack of self-worth. You know, just stuff that just isn't in line with having roots that are secure in who we are in God and who he is in us. What do we do with that? Like, what? where do we go? When we recognize that, where do we go? So that's what I want to go after this evening. So I just, um, I'm just going to pray right now. Holy Spirit, would you help us to have receptive hearts this evening? We are open to you for you to do whatever you want to do in each one of us. And we want to walk out of here different to how we came in. And I just pray that if there's anything that, um, that you just want to unlock in us, unlock in our thinking, unlock in our belief system, highlight in us that it's just not of you, that is not in line with who you say you are and who we are in you. God, would you just reveal that to us and help us to, help us to partner with you in just becoming more like Jesus. We love you, God. Amen. So I want to start in Proverbs 23.7, which says this, For as a man thinks, so is he. And a fuller expansion of that, uh, that's a proverb from Solomon there, is as he is all along in his heart, so is he at last in act. And that, The really simple link I want to make is what goes on in here and here. And what I mean by that is our internal world. I'm just going to call it that. So what's going on in our hearts, in our minds, our belief systems, our internal world has an impact on our actions. Is that, that's the link. That's the only link I want to make there. Internal has an impact on external. So actually when we, when we see, uh, external fruit, that is not in line with who Jesus is, who we are in him, and so on. Actually, I think we need to examine internal, whether that's our beliefs, whether that's our, our thought life, thought patterns, whatever that might be there. So, so that's what this evening's about, is it's kind of just asking Holy Spirit to just help us examine and be self-aware of what's going on inside of us. And I love what Banning shared last week. He shared about having diligence with our internal world. Actually, it's our responsibility. It's no one else's. It's not your responsibility to manage how I'm thinking about things. It's my responsibility. And it's your responsibility to look after you, to be diligent with it. And he was talking about thankfulness and the key of thankfulness. And really, like this is kind of just a continuation of that message, but a bit of a shift in focus. Thankfulness is key, is absolutely key. But I want to focus this evening on thoughts 
mind. That's kind of where I want us to go this evening. Because the fact is we've got limited control, some, but limited, sometimes feels like none, control over our external circumstances. Maybe of what happens to us or of its situations we experience. And sometimes they can be great, sometimes not so great. We don't have an awful lot of control over that, but what we do have a lot of control over and to choose, we have a huge amount of choice in it, is what happens in our minds, is what happens about how we think about things and where we let thoughts sit in our minds and what we choose to dwell on in our minds. We have an awful lot of choice there. And Steve Backlund says this, our response to a situation is almost always more important than the situation itself. I think that's really key. And I'm not saying at all that situations can't be painful or difficult. Sometimes they are, horrifically so. Really difficult, really painful, really disappointing. And I'm not saying, well, we should just ignore that and just change the way we think and we'll all be good. As if we're some sort of like programmable robot. I mean, if we just make an adjustment, then suddenly everything is magically fine. I don't think it works like that. But I do think God has a way in, for each of us to walk with Holy Spirit where actually our response, our thinking, and our thought life is born out of our deep root system in Him, in His love, His goodness, His kindness, His gentleness, His mercy, His grace. It's about Him and not out of our situation and our external And this isn't a one-time deal at all. Gosh, I, wish it, I really wish it was, but it's not. Because I've, I've, I've battled with this and wrestled with this and had victory and then had setback with this over and over and over again, depending on what different circumstances and situations come my way. And honestly, like the last couple of weeks has seen me failing pretty miserably in this area. And actually, um, for me, what's happened is mostly through busyness, to be honest, and feeling stressed, I've forgotten to be diligent. I've forgotten to check what's happening internally. And with that, for me, this is what it looks like. My gaze has shifted from being up here to being here. And suddenly, it's about my capacity, my strength, my ability. Me, me, me which gets me so far. I'm a reasonably capable person. So my, I might last like a day, two days maybe, on, if, it's, you know, if I'm doing all right. But then it kind of falls to pieces a bit. And it falls to pieces here in my mind first because just huge pressure comes. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm sure I can't be the only one. Huge pressure comes because all of a sudden it's our responsibility and my expectations soar of what I think I should be able to do and then get disappointed and discouraged if I can't, which inevitably I can't. And that then in turn has an impact externally, mostly to my husband over there who gets the very worst of me, short temper, bad attitude, angry mood, no patience for anything. I've been a joy to live with, I can assure you, these last couple of weeks. Like, thank you, John, for my ever patient and gracious husband. And, um, and so, there's something that's, that's, I've not lost my salvation. My roots are still good. My roots are in Jesus. I know who I am in Him, but something has gone a little bit off. So, I want us to talk about the mind of Christ. What is it to have the mind of Christ? 
Because actually we've all been given a gift which enables us to put this on, to put on the mind of Christ. And actually to have the capacity to have, you know, difficult thoughts come in and difficult thought patterns maybe and discouraging things, maybe thoughts that are fueled by fear or anxiety. We have, we can have those come in and because we are in him, we have a decision and a choice that says, I don't have to agree with that. And I don't have to partner with that. I can choose something different. So let's look at the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2. I'm going to look at verses 9 and then jump to 16. It says, but as it is written, uh, it's being quoting Isaiah here, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit. We have been given the mind of Christ. For every person that believes, every single person sitting here this evening that says, I believe in Jesus, believe in who he is, I believe that I'm set free, you have the mind of Christ. It's for every believer. There is nothing you can do to disqualify yourself from having the mind of Christ. It's not reserved for special Christians. It's not reserved for people that have a microphone or the people that can play an instrument or the people that pray really hard every day. Whatever your preconceptions might be of the perfect Christian, um, or someone that's doing it really well, it's not reserved for them, it's for everyone. Everyone here has the mind of Christ. We're promised that. And so what does having the mind of Christ mean? I think really simply, it means that we know the things of God. We know the plans and purposes of the Lord. That's what that Corinthians verse kind of talks about in between the 9 and 16. And so really, it's 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 having the ability through the Holy Spirit to know the things of God, know his purposes, his plans, his perspective, his wisdom, his discernment. Having heaven's perspective, that's what is available for us. So actually, when we see situations that might seem desperate or difficult, actually we can invite and remind ourselves that we have the mind of Christ and ask God for his perspective. Show us how he thinks about something and have our thinking shifted and turned a second passage I just want us to look at now is 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5. It says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations or reasonings, there's a translation there, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's a really famous passage. I think most of us will know that here, like that idea of taking every thought captive. And I think the reason that we are able to do that, to be able to have that ability of taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, is because we've been given the mind of Christ. That's why we can do that. It's the mind of Christ that enables us to think like he does, to recognize when we've even got thoughts there that should that are not in, in matching his truth and his ways and his perspective. It's the mind of Christ that helps us sort through those things and, and invite him to come in to be able to take those thoughts captive. So to help us grasp this a little bit of like, how does Jesus think? What is Jesus' perspective? I just want us to have a little look in Mark 8. And it's, um, it's a passage of scripture that's entitled The Leaven or the Yeast of the Pharisees and Herod, which might seem... Um, a little odd right now, but I'm hoping to unpack this a bit and for us to be able to understand it. And prior to this, we've already had um, the feeding of the five and then 4,000. So that's already happened, because that's going to be referenced in a minute, um, where Jesus shows compassion. We have this incredible, miraculous multiplication of food. 
Um, the disciples are there. They see it. They see God's provision. They see a supernatural provision in these situations. And then, and then after that, they're kind of the disciples, as they seem to be a lot, are in a boat with Jesus. It's kind of cool. Uh, they're in a boat with Jesus, and they just, they realize they haven't got they haven't got any food. So let's pick it up from there. So Mark eight fourteen to twenty one. Now they, the disciples, that is, had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And Jesus cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? When I read that, I always hear frustration in Jesus' voice. And then I think, I don't know, did Jesus ever feel frustrated? I don't know. I still don't know. But in my mind, it's like, do you not yet understand? Kind of how I feel as a primary school teacher sometimes. I'm teaching full stops for the millionth time. (laughs) It's probably nothing like that. So, um... So Jesus hears his disciples discussing this fact that essentially they've got no lunch. That's kind of what's going on. They're hungry. They haven't got any food. What are they going to do about that? And his response to it might seem like an odd one. He gives them this warning using this language of yeast or leaven and Herod and Pharisees. And so let's just unpack that really briefly. So Herod, the leaven of Herod, He's actually talking about influences to thinking and influences to the mind. And as, as yeast changes the, the appearance and the substance of, of bread, actually, he's talking about how these, um, the thinking or the mindset of Herod or the Pharisees changes actually how you think about things and how you see things. So for Herod, he's talking about that actually civil law was, was above and more important than the law of God. That's what the that's what the kind of leaven of Herod is representing. Is the political system of that day, the leaven of the Pharisees on the on the other hand was this hypocritical religious mindset where actually God was impersonal and was powerless. Both of them are so far away from who God is, who God actually is. Sovereign loves us. Neither of those two mindsets acknowledge that. And so the disciples are responding in fear because, because they have, they're hungry. They haven't got food. And so Jesus says, why are you discussing the fact you've got no bread? And I find this really interesting. I like words. Other translations say, why are you so worried or why are you reasoning that you don't have enough food? And that word reasoning is the same word found in that 2 Corinthians 10 verse, which says reasonings that raise themselves up and, or exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. It's the same word there. So we've got this idea of actually what you're discussing. You think you're just talking about your lunch, but actually you are representing your, it's an outward action of an internal reality for you where actually you have got a mindset and thinking which is not in line with the Lord. That's essentially what he's saying. That's what I think he's saying anyway. Um, <clears throat> we'll go with it for this evening. And so Jesus is really saying, why, why is your reasoning, why is your thinking, why are your mindsets at war with who I am? Because, because you see, the disciples had seen the miraculous provision of God for thousands of people. And it wasn't a miracle at the hands of Jesus. It was a miracle at the hands of the disciples. Jesus thanked for the, gave thanks for the bread. He distributed it to the 
to the disciples, and it was them that handed it out. It was The miracle was at their hands. And you would have thought, I would like to think, maybe I wouldn't actually be like this, but I'd like to think if I had seen that, my faith levels would go up somewhat for my own belief of my own personal need. But it didn't seem to for the disciples. They didn't seem to make that connection. And so this is why I get that frustration from Jesus. Do you not yet perceive and understand? Situations might say to you that there is a lack, but actually in heaven there is an abundance. That's why he's saying there is an abundance. And actually, how often do we think as the disciples did? Maybe not. Thankfully, in our country, we do have an abundance of food. Maybe it's not that we don't have lunch. But maybe there are situations for you where it feels like there's lack. And it feels like your, your faith levels are just down there. Mine do sometimes. Especially for, with finances, actually. That's my biggie. Finances. If I don't have the right number in the bank account, my faith levels go down there for provision for our family. I'm on a journey with that. It's all right. And John's way better than I am at it. So, you know, we're on a journey together with it. He's kind of pulling me along. Um, but, but I feel like sometimes Jesus' question is to us is, do you not yet understand? Because God is a God of abundance. Heaven is abundant in resources. We're never going to exhaust it. And what I don't mean that every situation, or we're never going to experience hardship or difficulty. I don't mean that John and I don't need to steward our finances really well. I believe we totally do. And I think that's godly to do that, to budget, to plan, and to save. All of those, I'm not saying we shouldn't do, you know, sensible decisions about things. But what I am saying is that I don't think we need to let external circumstances or external lack dictate what happens in my mind. And dictate how generous, so with the finances example, dictate how generous I feel I can be. I've generally had times of thinking I can't afford to buy that person a coffee because there's not enough money in my bank account if actually we want to save this month or we want, or we want to do this trip this month or whatever it might be, you know, like there's, there's a lack of generosity in me because my thinking is it's all about me. It's all about the money we're bringing in. It's all about the numbers in the bank account. Never mind God and all of this. It is, it's dictating my thinking and that's, that's the wrong way round. It's the wrong way round. And so it's not about living in denial. I'm really not saying that. We just pretend everything's okay. I'm not into that at all. I'm totally into being real about things. But let's be real from heaven's perspective. Okay. So how do we cultivate this then? How do we cultivate having the mind of Christ? How can we work with it? Because I think part of being diligent is, is having an awareness we've been given something. We've been given the mind of Christ. But actually we need to work with that. We need to partner with it. It's not just going to somehow magically happen that every day we wake up and think like Jesus. I really wish that was true, but, well, for me it's not. I have to go to work, if you like. And Romans 12.2 says this, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And again, I told you I like words. The Greek word for renew here is anakinosis, which in a more literal translation of that word is the adjustment of our thinking to the mind of God. To have our thinking adjusted to the way that God's mind works. Adjusting our thinking leads to transformation. That's what that verse is saying. And the renewed mind lives with an awareness that God enables what he commands, I think. I think that leads to our transformation. That as a renewed mind, 
believes in who Jesus is, believes in what God says about who we are, and can live it out, even if circumstances are difficult. That's a renewed mind sees beyond the immediate and sees to a higher reality and can pull that down to earth. And I think the starting point for this renewal is really simple. Asking. Ask Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and renew my mind every morning on my drive to work. If I'm not listening to Five Live. I'm only joking. This is definitely more important. Jesus, come and renew my mind. Come and give me the mind of Christ. Help me to see, see situations in the way you see them today. Help me to see people in the way that you see them today. That's what's, that's the starting point, is the invitation and is being open. Then we need to partner with it. Because actually the renewed mind is a, is a mind that is able to recognize thought patterns that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God and who God is and do something with that. And I don't know about you, I've had many times where I um, recognize unhealthy thought patterns, whether that's about who I am, my significance, or whether it's about outward actions that I just don't want to have to deal with, and I just let it sit. It goes, just dwells and dwells and dwells and sits there. That's not me putting a renewed mind into action. That's not me being diligent with my internal world. And sometimes it feels like a battle. And sometimes it is, honestly. Because I think the enemy would love nothing more than for our minds and thought patterns to, to be in total war with who God is and what he says about us. Because it leads us to being discouraged, it leads us to being inactive, it leads us to us not being who we're being called to be in our spheres of influence. Yeah, the enemy's having a field day with that. Of course he is. So sometimes it is a battle. But that's okay, because we've been equipped. And I want to just um, spend the last little bit of time looking at some pieces of our spiritual armor. In Ephesians 6, go away and read it, because I'm not going to read it all now, but Ephesians 6 outlines our spiritual armor. It's an amazing set of armor that we wear. And the Amplified Version likens it to the picture of a heavenly, heavily armed Roman soldier. So um, I said I was a primary school teacher. So because of that, I brought some small props in with me. Purposes of the podcast, I'm holding a very realistic-looking Roman shield. It is, isn't it? Sam said that's well cool. <laughs> Equally authentic looking helmet. I'm going to put that here. And finally, a slightly less authentic looking sword, which is from my son's knight's outfit. And if I'm honest, looks like a pretty poor sword of the spirit. But it's going to serve the purpose for this evening. If you look, can you see how it's pretty bent? <laughs> That's because Asaph spends most of his time digging it into a door frame and then bending it as much as possible. That's the game. But still, that's for this evening. So let's put that on this one. Okay, right, let's read the passage first of all. <laughs> and... Uh, by the way, the reason that I don't have an actual proper one is because you could never get away with having an actual Roman sword in school. We all know that, right? 
That's why we've got this plastic, slightly less authentic-looking one. So Ephesians 6.16 says this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the reason I've I've focused on these, there's loads of parts of the armor, but I just want to focus on these three because I think these are the three key ones that help us in our journey and our our process to having renewed minds and to having the mind of Christ and to helping us protect our minds. And so, in this passage, then, we're told that there is a fiery dart of the enemy. I said it sometimes feels like a battle, and it's because it literally is, because the enemy is firing darts at us. And so we're told, first of all, it's the shield of faith that protects us. And I want to suggest this evening that it's uh, it's these fiery darts that are actually being aimed at our minds. Because I think if the enemy can get into our thinking, he's, he's kind of one for that period of time. If he can influence our thinking, he's influencing our actions and our decision making. But we've been given protection. So the first one, shield of faith. So this was the sp- uh, piece of, of weaponry that um, that we have that extinguishes those fiery darts. And the shield for the Roman soldier was the first line of defense. If they used that well, they would be protected. If we use this well spiritually, we will be protected. So what is this spiritually? What does this mean for us? The idea that faith is a shield is really common in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. Twenty times alone in Psalms it talks about faith being our shield, and it talks about God being our shield. Faith in God is our shield. So actually, the shield is putting faith in the Lord. That's what our shield looks like. So what happened to me over these last couple of weeks is I was holding my shield quite happily, became less diligent, and my shield started to drop because my faith was shifting from the Lord to me, to my capacity, my ability, my strength. And my shield had gone from here to probably around about there. I might have just had a hand on it slightly, just. But it's not protecting me anymore. My faith has shifted. Now, I don't mean I no longer have faith in the Lord. That's not what I mean. This isn't a salvation kind of issue. I just mean my my day-to-day putting trust in the Lord, putting my faith in him, had just dropped. It dropped to me. And my, my focus had shifted. And my shield was down. It leaves us vulnerable. As we start to put our our trust in ourselves, in our finances, in our education, in what we do, in our family, our shields are falling. We're putting trust in the wrong things. But we've got further armor to help us. So let's look at the helmet of salvation. This is the heavy one. I put this on this morning, but it doesn't fit, so I'm not going to repeat that because I felt like an idiot. And so I'm just going to hold it. Here's our helmet of salvation. And the helmet, obviously, this is painfully obvious, the helmet protects the head. Okay? So for this evening, let's, I'm going to suggest it's protecting our minds. That's why we have a helmet, a helmet of salvation which protects our minds. And, and put really simply, that I think the helmet of salvation is giving us the assurance of salvation. And that has some impact for our minds. So when Paul says to take this up, he, he's meaning... 
put on, remember, know, understand that you're saved, you're set free, that you're Jesus's, you're a child of God, you have salvation. So why is salvation so key in protecting our minds? I've asked myself, I've, I've thought about that a lot. It's the word we use a lot, isn't it, salvation? Without necessarily understanding, like, it's the helmet of salvation. Why is it so powerful? And I think it's because salvation creates identity. It creates something about who we are in him. Because the assurance of salvation means the assurance that Jesus has won complete victory for all time, for every person. It's the assurance that we're forgiven and we're freed and we're, and we're continually set free from anything that can hold us back. It's the assurance that we're adopted as royalty into his family, that we're sons and daughters as we stand before him. It's the assurance that we're new creations, that we're friends of God, that we're saints and we live under a law of grace. I could, I could go on, but you, you get the picture, right? Like everything that Jesus paid for, that is the assurance of salvation. And if we put that on, if our, we allow our thinking to be shaped by that set of belief and assurance in our salvation, we are not going to go far wrong. Graham Cook says this, our identity in Jesus is the key to transformation. It creates a renewed mind that originates from our placement in Christ and not our performance as Christian. That's one of my, apart from the Bible, that is one of my favorite quotes. Our identity in Jesus is the key to transformation. That's what gives us this renewed mind as well, our identity in Jesus. The third thing is the sword of the Spirit. Do you know, Asaph came down this morning at this point, because I've totally run over time, and he was sitting on his uh, grandparents' knees, and he could see see me, like, bandishing this sword around. He was like, he just kept on going, that's my sword, that's my sword. Anyway, it is his sword. And so... Paul tells us that the sword we have is the word of God. And in Greek, the, w- the word that he uses there for the word of God is the rhema word of God. And this might be super familiar to you, but it might not to be others. So I'm just going to explain this a little bit. The rhema word of God is the specific scriptures and verses for particular situations and times. Sometimes it's referred to as the now word of God. Logos is the Greek word for the entirety of scripture. Rhema, specific. So Paul is talking about how actually specific individual scriptures and verses are our sword of the spirit. So the Bible itself, I've got my Bible here. This isn't the word of God. This is the weaponry. This is the armor store. There are thousands of swords in here and all of them are powerful. All of them are two-edged. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So every time we memorize a verse or learn where it can be found in the Bible, we've added another sword to our arsenal. Every time we learn something new about that verse, we've sharpened the blades on that sword. Every turn, every time we learn how to apply that verse to a situation and let it transform how we're thinking, we've learned to use it in a more deadly way. It's powerful. This is powerful. 
This is why we need to know the word of God, because if we do not know the word of God, we have no sword to hold. We have nothing to let come into our minds. And those of you Freedom Course people here, you will already have this. But if you are sitting here thinking, where do I start? Where do I start with finding those two-edged swords in here? Come and give me your email address, because as part of the Freedom Course, we have um, a kind of a pack of really key verses, a really great starting point for um, for who you are, for who he is, and what he's paid for you. That's an amazing place to start. It's powerful. Read it. It's going to help. And actually, I am... Um, one of the, the most powerful times I have found that the Word of God has transformed my thinking. Some of you have heard this story. I apologize if it's a repeat, but it's a good one. It's, um, it's in 2011. Um, John and I were trying for children, and we, uh, I got pregnant straight away, and I had a miscarriage really early on. And then for the next year, it sent about a year it took until I got pregnant again. And, and looking back now, so we have two beautiful children. That year went in a flash. In the time, longest, darkest year of my life, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and really, I did not, I did not handle it very well at all. I did not handle the disappointment well at all. I did not handle friends getting pregnant at all well. And, um, what happened? because of that disappointment and me not handling it that well, was my thought patterns totally shifted from having trust in the Lord for my family to becoming very self-reliant, to becoming very resentful, to eventually landing in the place where I genuinely believe the only way I would feel happy or contented is if we could have children. And if we couldn't have children, there was no happiness or contentment to be found in life at all. It sounds ridiculous now. I'm aware of that. But that's genuinely the place that my thinking got to until I found this verse. And it's a verse that I have read many, many times before, but it absolutely pierced through my thinking like that Hebrews verse talks about and it transformed my thinking maybe not in an instant because I had to go to work with it I had to be diligent with it but it it changed is this so I, I have a little journal that I keep uh any kind of important words of God that I've, I've either been given through prophetic or I feel God's spoken to me, whether it's verses or pictures, whatever that might be. And I treasure them. They're important to me. They matter. So after the Bible, this is like my next most important book to me. Um, and I kind of write them out in a vaguely artistic manner. That's about as creative as I get in life. So it says this, For I have learned how to get along happily, whether I have much or little. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, for I can do everything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. And it's particularly this next part, In you I am content. In God I am content. Not through circumstances, not through whether we're able to have children or not. It's in the Lord that I know contentment. That one verse, even though I'd read it before many, many times, that suddenly became a sword that I picked up. And that became a sword that I began to apply to my situation. I thought, I don't have to think like this. My life was feeling gray. It was feeling purposeless because all of a sudden I was directing it towards something I had no control over and I had no idea what the outcome was going to be. 
If someone had told me, it's all right, Emma, you're going to have two children, great. But I don't think life works like that that often. I don't need any faith for that. I don't need to trust in the Lord for that. We need to trust in God when we don't yet know what's going to happen and trust that he is working for our good in all situations, no matter what that outcome might be, whether it's what we think we want or, we, or, or not. And so that was, that was the first verse. About two weeks after that, uh, a friend of mine who had recently become a Christian at work, um, she texted me early on in the morning and she said, Emma, I've, I've had the weirdest dream. I, I feel like God has given me this scripture for you. She'd never read it before. I don't think she'd know like, where to find the book of Psalms in the Bible. It's a verse from Psalms. And uh, she hadn't read it prior to texting me. She didn't know anything about my journey or about what I was doing. And it says this. It's Psalm 139. God's grace provides a joyful home with children and makes us happy parents surrounded by our pride and joy. That's the God we praise. So give it all to him. Oh, God knows. That was my next sword. In God I am content, but his promise to me is that I'm going to be a joyful parent. I'm going to have a joyful home with children. Together, those two verses transform my thinking. If I had read that verse, that God's grace provides joy for home and children, three years prior to that, that would have meant nothing to me. I would have read over it, skimmed over it, and moved on. But in that moment, in that situation, that was the rhema word of God for my life. Along with, in you I am content. Do you see the power? It's powerful, the word of God. The word of God is meant to lead us with, to an encounter. It's not just words on a page. It, it leads us to an encounter with a God that loves us, with a God that has sacrificed everything so that we can know him. So let's just begin to bring this to a close. So far I've talked a lot about what we can do. Our diligence, our responsibility, taking care of our internal world. And that is really important. I do think that's really important. But actually, there's a verse in Philippians that I want to end with that I love, because actually it shows what God is doing at the same time. It says this, Philippians 4, 6 to 8. It says, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition, that's definite requests. With thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. And what is it that happens as we do this? So, so we've got our concerns, we've got our fears, we've brought them to the Lord. This is what he does. God's peace shall be yours. That tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and being content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is, that peace, which transcends all understanding, shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is what God is doing. As we come to him with all of our stuff that might feel really messy, he, in turn, is garrisoning our minds with his peace. And I don't know if you've ever had periods of times where, where your thoughts have just lacked peace. Your internal world has lacked peace. 
I honestly think it's the most horrible feeling we can have internally is when we don't have peace. But as we go to him, it's really simple what we can do. We just go to him with it. And he, in turn, will garrison our, our hearts and our minds with his peace. And actually, God is the God of the great exchange, isn't he? Joy for mourning, praise for heaviness, beauty for ashes, peace instead of fear, peace instead of anxiety. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we're going to. And so really, to let's bring this to a close. I guess, I don't. do we have a, a prayer team this evening? How does that work? It's kind of us, great. Me and Sam um, and all of us together. If, um, if this resonates with you, maybe right now you've got situations facing you um, that you think, gosh, that feels impossible. That feels hard. I don't, I don't see a way through. Know that God does. And he has got a solution for you. And he wants to adjust your thinking to be able to see that and to partner with it and to believe it. If you're here this evening and actually you know that your thoughts are tinged with fear or anxiety or worry, whatever that might be, like you don't need to leave that way. He can bring transformation for every single person here because we have the mind of Christ. So why don't you stand with me? Why don't you just um, hold out your hands, put your hand on your heart, put your hands on your minds even, on your, on your minds, you can't do that, put your hands on your heads. Um, if this resonates with you, like just respond physically in some way, just say, God, I'm here and I want this. Holy Spirit, we just say thank you that you're here, thank you that you're here all the time. You never leave us, you never forsake us, God. And we just invite you to come. We invite you to come and transform us by renewing our minds, by adjusting our thinking to be aligned with you. And I just pray for every person here, if there, where there's specific situations, or things weighing us down, God, would you show us what you think? Show us how you see them. Give us words from, from the Bible that are for this time. Give, help us pick up our sword that we can use it effectively. God, we want to be a people that just walk in peace. So just come and do your work in each one of us, God.